it's your new odds place. Uh, got a got a real stacked house uh, in here tonight. Um, of course, you know me. I'm your host, Josh. Uh, but we're gonna go around and introduce everybody because we got some new some new voices happening here. So uh, take it away, people. Hey team, I'm Wesley James. I'm your adjudicator, uh, pointsman for the night. So I'll be hearing the arguments and making uh, final decisions. Hey everybody, it's Caleb. I'm back to battle Josh in another round of odd splicing. And I just gotta say for the record, I'm really excited to get home tonight to put on a face mask. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Alex. I'm here to um, hype up Baldwin. Yeah. All right. And, uh, all the way from Cleveland. Take it away. I'm LA. I'm from Cleveland, and I'm a generally libated film critic. So. <laughs> um, yeah, libated film critic podcast uh, coming soon. Um, probably right after this episode drops. So look out Ooh. for that, people. Um, or it might be on. before, and I'll steal your thunder. Who knows? Right. <laughs> Depends on how fast I edit, which isn't fast. Thunder's really all we've got. Right. <laughs> I care a lot about thunder. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So yeah, it's it's another round between me and Caleb. Um, you all know and love this format. Uh, so we've we've chosen a theme, and me and Caleb have each picked movies, uh, and Wes decides which movie wins at the end based on how good our args are. Uh, <laughs> And so, and then we have extra people to, to help out. So we know we know where Alex's loyalties <laughs> lie. Uh, LA, you're the wild card. I was hoping you'd back me up, but you're your own person with free will. So I'm not gonna put that on you. I think I have a feeling of which one was your choice, and we'll just see how those cards fall. <laughs> Hell yeah! So uh, yeah, um, theme this week was love. Love. Uh, a many splendored thing. Love. Love, sweet love. Aww. All we need is love. Um. Girl, it's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was picked by a random number generator uh, last time, and since then, uh, yeah, we'd never pick love. <laughs> <laughs> yep, needed needed to leave that up to pure fate. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll introduce the picks this week. I'll let my esteemed opponent go first. Excellent. Could you hand me my phone? Thanks. <laughs> Need to review what movie I picked. Yeah. So I went with a movie that's still out in theaters. So uh, big time spoiler alert for all you listeners out there. I you know, couldn't have picked a better movie for love than If Beale Street Could Talk based on James Baldwin's novel, but the film version, still out in theaters, I think it came out mid-December, um, directed by Barry Jenkins, who also directed Moonlight, and I think also wrote Moonlight or co-wrote Moonlight. No? He just directed it? Wow. That was a, a quick check-in with Alex, who <laughs> was shaking and then nodding her head. <laughs> um, Will this be relevant to the scoring process? <laughs> And so, if you're not at all familiar with If Beale Street Could Talk, um, the IMDb says, a woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy while she and her family 
struggle to prove her fiance innocent of a crime. But I'm going to let the lovely Alex do a little bit better intro since she's so familiar with Baldwin and has read the book also. Okay, so James Baldwin is everything. And um, he wrote a book in the 60s called If Beale Street Could Talk, and it's been made into a movie. Um, I think that that summary was fine, except that it ignores the race, um, which is really, really important to this film. Um, So the main character is a black woman, and this story is about blackness and love and family and the United States, and it's beautiful and amazing and is certainly going to win. So, I don't know, you know? (laughs) All right, well, I want to say If Beale Street Could Talk is absolutely a movie about love, uh, first and foremost, so uh, other side, we do have an uphill battle here. And, yeah, and just we'll get into it, but... We say love, like, we're thinking in, like, the very typical sense of, like, romantic Save love. Save that for the next oh, yeah, yeah. I apologize. Plus, I don't think that's true. I gotta introduce my fucking pick, all right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back down, back down, <laughs> sir. I'm at a 10. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to put this on pluggedin.com since right. you just said the F word. <laughs> I'm earning my explicit content, okay? Mm-hmm. My explicit content tag this evening. Uh... All right. So he's a small label maker, and he's actually yeah. labeling Josh explicit content right on the forehead. <laughs> it's it's pretty humiliating. All right, back over to you, Josh. Sorry. Oh, this. Uh, I'm. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Is this a coup? Is a coup right now. Yes. <laughs> Which, uh, speaking of a coup, the coup, Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. So there my pick. Uh, this week uh, was Sorry to Bother You, the debut feature from lead rapper and mind genius behind the left-wing hip-hop group The Coup. Uh, so Sorry to Bother You is a very good um, sci-fi comedy um, about the horrors of late capitalism. Uh <laughs> Uh, which is the capsule summary follows uh, a, a young man who you know, is, is facing some, some hardships in his life and finds out he has a particular skill that uh, helps out a massive corporation. Meanwhile, his friends and his lover are trying to form a union at the place he works at. Uh, and so he is torn between achieving his dreams and great financial success or and uh keeping his friends and family so yeah i think i think love undergirds this thing though it is not explicitly the subject of the movie so my battle is uphill but i think i can do it Hmm. i certainly didn't want to interrupt that beautiful summary that seamless transition that the coup line that led into the that that's going to be worth solid five points fuck yeah (laughs) All right, so uh, we've announced announced the picks. Um, so I think, yeah, we're gonna move into a, a, a segment here. Um, so there there are segments now. We have structure uh, <laughs> because we want to make this good and not bad. Um, what? <laughs> Wesley is uh, very taken aback. <laughs> Apparently, he only wants to do bad things and never good ones. Um, all right, so so segment one is what the theme means to you. Uh, so we're talking about love, so we want to like just 
say what love means to us and uh, sort of the thoughts that made us select our picks and uh, yeah. You want me to jump in? Yeah. So having not read the book um, and only seen the trailer for this film, I generally just knew that it was uh, fueled by or centered around a romantic deeply romantic deeply powerful love between the two main characters tish and fanny um played tish played by kiki lane and fanny played by stephen or stefan james um and part of that even was informed by alex telling me that it's baldwin's most romantic story um so i was thinking in that general kind of cliche form of love that we think about with movies just a romantic love centered around uh, a romantic couple who is like falling in love or already in love but watching the movie it's also deeply about familial love um and like a the love of like a community to like um support one another so those are my brief thoughts i'm curious what others thought we all went to the theaters together which is pretty great so um alex how do you think about it um (laughs) so I have been quoted as saying uh, if Beale Street could talk was Baldwin's most romantic book. I stand by that wholeheartedly. It's deeply, deeply romantic. I absolutely agree with Caleb that it is also about family and about like choosing each other and the faith that love needs to be able to survive in a, in a country, in a world that is trying to stamp it out. Um, so I think the movie was perfect and I think it's actually going to sort of be quite obviously the winner here. But... Um, <laughs> I think the theme of love in, you know, when I heard this theme, I was thinking about how it needed to be more specific. I had a lot of like critique of hearing it initially, um, but I think if it's not specific, um, that it touches all sorts of things, sibling love, parent love, uh, love you have for an unborn child, um, romantic love, all of that kind of stuff. I'm finished. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so guess i should dive into my little thought process here uh, uh, la did you did you see uh if Beale street could talk i just recently watched both of these within the last two days so yeah awesome can what we, a gift can we hear your, your thoughts yeah so in the lens of cinema my traditional views on love is i hate romance movies um i think that they're overly schmaltzy and overly done and it's just a plus b equals c every time and it makes me really angry Um, So going in with that kind of worldview watching both of these movies, um, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed slash was traumatized by (laughs) if Bill Street could talk. Um, I have some, like, I was not generally looking for romance between two main characters. I was looking at more of the tertiary characters and the things that were going on in the world of the film. So looking at, like, familial love, and um, specifically the bond between Tish and her dad is the one that really got me. Um, that one was really sweet and just watching that interaction. But I have to say, I, I'm solidly in team... Sorry to bother you. Whoa. Uh, Shots fired. We've drawn a line me. in the sand. A line has been drawn. It's, it's in the sand, yes. Uh, for me, I like to 
choose the movie that doesn't outrightly slap you with the theme in the face. Um, that one has some really subversive, <laughs> insane things in it, and I liked that a lot more because there was a lot more grit to it and a lot more you had to like fish for those elements out of it and really sit and think about it versus it unfolding nicely right in front of you. Well, it seems uh, I don't stand alone this time. <laughs> oh. I think we should dive more into that in the uh, how is it doing it portion. Right, right, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but so I'll uh, I'll explain my my thought process for uh, for choosing this movie. So um, can I can I interrupt really quick? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may, sir. I just wanted oh, can to I interrupt that real quick. <laughs> Actually, can uh, I say something? <laughs> no and no. <laughs> I guess since you gave me a second, I should give you a second. Got it. Thank you for the second. Oh, go ahead. Okay, that's great. Um, I just wanted to go back to what Ellie said about the dad and and Tisha. Tish, Tish, the dad and Tish. I just love the line. I hope it's a boy. <laughs> I just love that line so much. All right, that's all I wanted to say. The part that got me was when they were she was having really bad labor pains and she was just like yeah. sitting at the kitchen table with that really god awful wallpaper with her dad and he's making her tea and it was a really mm. nice turn to see softer sides of men versus you know like yeah. typical tropes in romance movies the men's like this big macho Chris Hemsworth kind of guy but to see a lot more tenderness was really refreshing yeah and the way he, he doesn't want to put on the, um, the the bad boy hat and go you know you've got some hustles and I've got some hustles that's all a, a reluctance uh, especially compared to when you get to see him just really loving his family yeah it seems like it's all tender. about love which is interesting <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> uh, yeah, my my thought process in selecting "Sorry to Bother You," uh, much like LA, I am suspicious of and have mostly a jaundiced eye towards romantic love in movies and honestly in general. Uh, sorry, Asia, who I'm in a relationship with right now, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, sorry to bother you. While it does have a romantic couple at the center, it's definitely not about that, and love is, is a tertiary theme to it. Um, so being suspicious of romantic love, uh, I, uh, I I was led to crack open a little Zizek before <laughs> to prepare for the podcast. I'm not quoting directly, so don't worry about it, because it kind of scrambled my brain, too, but... <laughs> How is his first name pronounced? I've only ever seen it written. Slavo. Slavo. I've always been saying Slavoy. It might be Slavoy. I've always said Slavo. Interesting. Um, uh, because it, it, it gets at uh, some interesting ideas that seem to have carried over from my weird fundamentalist Christian upbringing and my, my newfound uh, affinity for leftist mm-hmm. politics. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of stuff about the difference between Eros and Agape. Mm-hmm. Um, so eros being yeah romantic erotic love agape being the unconditional political love uh, so that gets talked about a lot in in christian circles uh, and 
but it also kind of plays a function in leftist politics. Um, there's this idea, and it's not like an exact quote, but something that, that Zizek has talked about, and I think he's just like quoting Lenin or something, or I mean, it even goes to like uh, some stuff Che said, um, where, uh, oh great, now I'm like three layers deep on the quote I wanted to say, and uh, so the, the idea in Zizek is, uh, that um, you know, desire cannot be sustained between two partners looking into each other's eyes. Like you need to clasp hands, stand side by side, and gaze outward and participate in the revolution. Um, which yeah, kind of leads into the Che quote, which is like you know, revolutionaries need to be uh, guided by or animated by uh, a sense of love. Um, and then also they need to be ruthless killing machines and need to be animated by hate as well to destroy hateful enemies. Uh, so I picked Sorry to Bother You because I think it's a really good illustration of that uh, with, I don't know, somewhat low stakes. Like it, it feels, it, while, while the film is fantastical, it's also uh, very, very realistic. Um, you, know, you know, if you have been or are uh, unemployed in the American economy as it stands right now, um, you feel a lot of what Cassius Green goes through. Um, uh, yeah. I think too, so what's, what's interesting about that one um, is it kind of is what happens in the absence of like self-love and thinking more internally versus externally when it comes to those things. Um, so it's a much more um, selfish versus one that's very selfless in the opposing camp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, which, I mean, isn't, you know, it's, I think uh, if Beale Street could talk, like, uh, I think it gets at a lot of the, I, I, I like how the romance is couched in a um, social reality. It is not just about uh, Tisha and Fani. It it is about the family. It is about the forces they go against. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I really like like that. But I uh, I like sorry to bother you better. Yeah, let's dig in. Right. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we can we get your thoughts? I'm sorry to bother you. I well, being in the sorry to bother you camp. Uh, I for me think themes stand out stronger when you flip them on their head and give it a juxtaposition. So focusing on greed and um, socio-politics where it can be kind of devoid of love makes the theme pop out even stronger than when, like I said, it's nicely gift-wrapped and presented to you. Um, I, the only words that I have to describe that film was a socio-political surrealist shitstorm um because it was, it was just bonkers like i was the film flips like second act third act like towards the end of that and i was just like what am i even watching and then like at the end you get it and it's kind of cool that way um it was a lot of surprises i wasn't expecting and i rather enjoyed that huh you you didn't expect the horse people i did not <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, um, 
Mm-hmm. Better, yeah, I guess to yeah to illustrate like how how love works in mm-hmm. in Sorry to Bother You. Uh, so the two main characters are, are Cassius Green, played by uh, the great Lakeith Stanfield, so whom good. we all love. Yep. Whom we all love. Uh, damn adorable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, so yeah, doing his absolute best impression of a not incredibly sexy person. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm Lakeith Stanfield. I'm just a regular, regular guy. You can be in my great suit. <laughs> regular, regular <Hot> job. <laughs> All right, so, so yeah, Cassius Green and then his uh, girlfriend or, yeah, fiance, uh, Detroit, played by America's sweetheart, Tessa Thompson. Uh, of Veronica Mars fame. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched Veronica Mars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, so yeah, it starts out with them. They're, to, they're together. Uh, Cassius Green is behind on the rent which he owes to his uncle, who is played Cruz. by Terry Crews. <laughs> Terry Goddamn Crews. Um, so he gets a job at a call center, uh, and it sucks because he works for commission and isn't making enough. And then uh, he's he's seated next to Danny Glover <laughs> as a co-worker, which I love when that guy shows up in movies. Yeah. It's been too long. He's always talking like he's whispering to you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's an audible whisper. He's telling you a secret. Yeah. That's um, that's perfect casting beyond what you can expect from perfect casting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. For the, the already juxtaposition they're trying to do between the white voices and, and then everybody else's voice mm-hmm. growling as much as they can. And that was unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, one of the central sort of surrealist conceits of of the movie is. Uh, well, it's a movie about code switching. So the, the main cast are all are all black, and uh, so so Cassius is working in the call center and failing to make sales. Um, and then Danny Glover's like, "Nah, man, you got to use your white voice." Uh, and then Cassius Green uses his white voice, and it's dubbed over by uh, David Cross. David Cross, yeah, <laughs> which is a great effect. And then he just starts making hella sales and gets. Uh, gets promoted to power caller. I, I, I was so hoping... Question. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I was so hoping Cassius's voice was going to be Owen Wilson, and I was a little disappointed. Oh, that would have been, so <laughs> been so great. <laughs> uh, I, I'm very face-blind, so I might have totally misjudged this, but but the main manager, not the not the tall, skinny one, but the, the guy with like the moppy hair, is he Milton from Office Space? No. Okay. That's... That would blow my mind if they brought him back in a manager position. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, I'm gonna need you to come in early. That, yeah. The Saturday, yeah, yeah. Or the, uh, the... Oh, the guy with the oh, you mean Gary Cole, the the um, stapler guy? Oh, okay, yeah. No, no it's not him. Okay. It's not Stephen because Gary Cole isn't in this movie either. Okay. Um, so yeah, Cassius Green becomes power caller. Meanwhile, can I? Damn it! Oh I'm interrupting God. again. Should I just let you? Yeah, I'll let you go. Okay, <laughs> I just um, let you go. <laughs> All right, and so at that point, uh, an outside agitator had had come in and uh, rallied the the Regal View telemarketing employees to start a union, so they get better. From Stephen Hume? Yeah, from uh, Walking Dead. Was Glenn? That's right. Oh, that's who that is. Yeah, dude. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> You're so Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pretty sure he's the only 
main Asian character in The Walking Dead for like the first four seasons. Well, I've only seen the first three seasons. Because then they kill him off. Well, I don't see face Caleb. Clearly. <laughs> and then he's also the only main Asian actor in Sorry to Bother You. And you're just like, bro. Um, yeah, so he becomes a power caller, uh, gets wealth and fame. Uh, oh yeah, Stephen Yeun. They, they try to start a union, but they're in a standoff with management, and then there's this whole thing. Oh, my. There's so many, like, elements to oh, this where's movie. where's the love? That's I'm what just kind of curious. Yeah. <laughs> the clock's ticking, Josh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if it, if it needs All to right, be this so, long. Okay, a stronger antagonist than you do so far. Oh, I'm she, at a 10. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she came with gloves up, ready to, ready to swing. <laughs> I don't know. She's right. going for the knockout she in round will, one. She will not allow me to cast aspersions on Baldwin. I don't think I'm casting aspersions on Baldwin. No, just it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like sorry to bother you better, even though I very much respect. Josh, we're life. just asking to show don't tell at this point. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, so the thing is, uh, so that's the split. Is uh, his his buddies? His, yeah, uh, and he also gets his girlfriend Detroit to work at the at the telemarketing center and she's on the on the union side joins a whole underground thing uh so it's this so he has this solution to his problem basically he's making the money to uh to to pay his uncle's rent set himself up and like make this really comfortable life for himself in detroit um but it is very much at the expense of all of his friends saved his uncle's house yeah, saved his uncle's house. It was going to get foreclosed on. Sorry, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that was explicit or not. Oh, yeah, For those who haven't seen it. Explicit, yeah. But, right, it was going to get foreclosed on. Um, so that's where the... Uh, and so throughout the course that's of this, that. like, I mean, that yeah. that issue actually splits up Detroit and Cassius. Like, she's like, I, I don't like this person you're becoming. I can't, I can't be with you anymore. Um, as he's being you know, cycled up into higher and higher levels of power eventually, meeting the CEO of the Worry-Free Corporation, uh, played delightfully by Army Hammer. Uh, oh, played Army terrifyingly. Hammer. Steve <laughs> I didn't even know that shit. was Army Hammer. That just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I need to go watch this again. Oh. Hell yeah, you do. Oh no. Army Hammer's ruined for me forever now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not evil. <laughs> um but yeah uh and then and then there's the big twist uh so a big part of the background of sorry to bother you is the uh, uh, might have been yeah <laughs> uh, I, I just want to call uh, everybody's attention who might have seen it to the internet phenomenon by the britannic youtube group uh a 14 minute short film entitled eagles are turning people into horses is anybody familiar with no Alright, the end of this podcast, whoever's listening out there, the end of this podcast, type in Britannic. It's like Titanic, but with the name Brian in the front. And uh, check out Eagles Are Turning People Into Horses. It's a little plug for my favorite YouTube comedy duo. Wes, what if they're driving while listening to this? You still have to do it. And I know it's illegal, and I know it's dangerous, but this is just more important than you, or others. Yeah, and organically, a drinking game has come up, and it's whenever Josh is interrupted, <laughs> you have to take a shot, <laughs> and you're going to be wasted by the end of this. Even if you're driving. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That goes for you too, listeners. Car flask. We all have them. <laughs> um, oh my God. All right, so yeah, just to get to the, yeah, the, 
the love stuff so we can like move on and I don't have to rehearse the, to the entire plot of Sorry to Bother You. Uh, so Cassius... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, Cassius is faced with this choice of uh, working for himself or for others and in, you know, uh, devoting himself to Detroit and his, like, sort of immediate situation by maintaining his success, like, he actually loses the object of his desire. Um, Detroit leaves him. Um, so it's only through that sacrifice and then learning to uh, build solidarity with his, his fellow workers after learning the horrible secret of the worry-free corporation. Uh, horse people. It's horse people. They're turning people into horse people. A common movie trope. The Equisapiens. Uh, we all saw it coming. <laughs> so suffice, uh, suffice to say, the love aspect of uh, sorry to bother you is what happens if you love the wrong things and get segues into what you can do to get it back and how to fix it versus yeah, I mean, it's, exactly I mean it's the movement from Eros to Agape you know the all that's all encompassing revolutionary love that's necessary to take down the fucking system that was a Man. good lens I, I like that I think that's also demonstrated um when he saves his uncle's house, uh, when everything's looking up for uh, Cassius, we're, we're kind of in one of the sillier rising actions that, that I've seen in a movie. He, he's gripped in a giant, crazy, uh, painful bear hug by Terry Crews as his reward for saving his uncle's house. The, these are, it's, it's lovely, but it's, these aren't like loving scenes. There's, there's still an element of like, this is a, we're still doing a comedy thing. We haven't even really gotten into the meat of the movie yet. Uh, whereas, on the on the ride down, when he passes back through that love barrier, it's it's all of his old friends who he betrayed. Every single moment of this movie up until now, all just uh, they're all just still standing there waiting to catch him, which is that that agape feeling. And I thought it was one of the the sweetest things in the movie was that they they don't bat an eye and saying, "Hey, we're still here for you. Do better." Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's such a great scene because they're just at like some fast food joint. Yeah. It's like we're just we cool. Like it's so good. Because <laughs> oh, you know, real humans aren't like that. We're all petty and would hold grudges forever. And here they are, just bros waiting to take their bro back into the fold. Yeah. So. They just miss him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually... he does give his friend that his Tesla at the end of the movie. If that's not true yeah. love, I don't know what is. That's actually a good commentary on. Um, factions within the left like the the uh diner scene or the fast food scene where they're like we're cool like that i don't know like the those who call themselves socialists those who call themselves communists those who call themselves anarchists should take a page from that movie you know from that little moment there where it's like hey we can all get along and figure this out together <laughs> you know i mean we're all trying to hoof stop steve lift in the end right like... <laughs> right they, they they realize they're on the same team um, I want to propose a question that we should come back to as we talk about similarities. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, thinking about that moment when he is able to save his uncle's home from being foreclosed on by the bank, give him the big check, he gets the cash advance at the start of his job as power caller. That moment is incredibly loving. But like after the, I saw it the first time with um, your sister, actually, Josh. Um, Hi, Deanna. With your mom. <laughs> shout out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Josh's I mom. hang out with Josh's mom all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's great. She, we watch movies all the time. Yeah. 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 She's great. I'm glad you guys get to spend time with her. It's, it's really, really nice. It's a gift. And sometimes your sister and I hang out too. But yeah. So we, we went to see it in theaters. And afterwards we were talking about this question what choice did he have? And I think it's a similarity between If Beale Street Could Talk that we should return mm. to. But, like, it is a loving moment that he, like, saves his uncle's home, is able to pay his rent, is able to, like, have a shelter and food and clothing, like, and be able to pay for those things. But that question of what choice did he have? What choice did anyone have in that movie? Yep. How do you be loving in a system like that? Exactly. So, uh, I guess we'll moving into the, the freeform discussion portion as if this isn't already a free form discussion <laughs> uh but just you know digging in a little deeper let's talk some uh some similarities and differences and really just uh hash this shit out guys yeah uh let's pivot back to if beale street could talk i don't really have a coherent I, point to start on but I, I think we should everybody go. try to formulate some coherent points i'm gonna give us a little uh, halftime wrap up here at the half here's what we've got uh, alex is standing in the corner she's in full pugilist gear and a boxing stance that I would describe as pristine or immaculate. Oh, thanks, Wes. I would be very, very terrified to try to confront her right now. Uh, now, over in Cleveland, L.A. appears to be almost completely ensconced in some sort of animate vine. Uh, it's a little hard to tell from the webcam, but I, I, we'll, we'll check back in on that later. Now, uh, Caleb's been taking horse steroids for almost his entire life, so I would have thought he would have come out on the side of sorry to bother you. It's hard to say, hard to say. He is looking very jacked today. Good on you, Caleb. And uh, uh, Josh, you've had about, is that, what is that, number 19 uh, uh, pints of whiskey? Uh, Josh has been throwing up for, we'll probably edit it out of the, the final version, but I'd, I'd say a solid two and a half hours. Uh, it's... It's, it's disquieting. About, yeah, it's yeah. I, disquiet is a great word for it. Yeah. I, it's about ankle deep right now, but we have mopped up a couple times, um, and a couple of us are throwing up just out of sort of reactionary empathy, <laughs> out of love, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I'm just. Uh, I, I'd, I'd I'd say I'm looking um, adequate today. I say handsome. Thank you. I say oh. sexy. What's yeah. that short shorts on? Really short. Those are good gams. <laughs> 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 We're just getting a good view. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the half. Let's uh, let's take it home, everybody. Cut me off. I love sports <laughs> references. <laughs> so, did we get a good enough um, chance to defend why we chose if Beale Street could talk, or should we jump into similarities? Yeah, I mean, it takes like almost no defense, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so, and I think on as soon as we get into similarities and differences, we'll see that everything "Sorry to Bother You" does uh, Beale Street does better. So it's like kind of confusing, and I'm ready to just dig in, you know? Take it away. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, gosh, okay. So if Beale Street Could Talk um, is this beautiful, beautiful story of um, two teenagers who are in love, Tish and Fani, um, they were childhood friends and have developed uh, a loving relationship with one another, and Fani is falsely accused of sexual assault and is sent to jail and he's held in jail. Um, and in that time, Tish discovers and reveals that she's pregnant. Um, and in the theme of love, even in the small act of, of telling the people that she loves that she's pregnant, 
Um, she's held beautifully with her family and with Fani. Um, and it's just a great example of, um, I think what Sarya to bother you is doing as well, which is like, what do you do in the face of a system that isn't made for you? Um, and how courageous it is to choose um, love in the face of that. I think in all seriousness, uh, sorry to uh, Beale Street Could Talk makes that claim much more vividly about choosing love rather than choosing um, the fight, for instance. Um, although you can make an argument for the same thing. Um, I wouldn't yeah. make that argument. You I would. Am, I am making that argument. Mm -hmm. I know but you are. So, go ahead. So I want to ask, what, what's a moment for you that encapsulates that? Or what's a relationship in the movie? Who are you asking? You. Okay, me. That encapsulates <laughs> it in Beale Street? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a good moment of that is um, when the, um, Tish's mom is talking to Fani's mom. Um, and in the book, you get to know Fani's family a lot better. And the movie, they're sort of a one-note thing, but they're incredibly upset about this child. Um, and the mom urges the Fani's mom to care very deeply for this child and not care what conditions the child was created in, but that this baby is a gift. And in the in a race analysis, um, James Baldwin is incredibly adept at navigating what it means to choose love and family and turn inward to who you like belong to and how and what it means to show like loving and compassion um, and I think the film does a really interesting job of not just sticking to like the heavy-handed romantic love between Fani and Tish but there's actually love all around including like what it means to choose love when a system is imprisoning you um, so I think it does a, just a beautiful job if I'm being honest and when you say race analysis, you mean like particularly in American and yeah. what? No. God. <laughs> I've been doing uh, three and five point coin flips this entire time. It's very impressive stuff. That was the first time I've dropped it in about 150 coin flips. So uh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you're saying what it means for the black body to be mm -hmm. criminalized in the US and for black families or um, the black community to make those decisions to choose love and support each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in an example of like seeing love operate in the film, you can see it not operate in the white characters in a really powerful way, in a way that is like those um, what it means to exist in a white supremacist society as a white person is that you're you're robbed of your ability to like see yourself in community with other people deeply or you wouldn't be able to live in a system that um, systemically oppresses other people and so the like characters who are lacking love are the three white people that you meet in the film um and i think it i think it's just a really powerful job of um bringing like race and class and love into a, a narrative that's set beautifully and has a beautiful soundtrack. There's a, there's a really cool um, undercurrent there of uh, like uh, an almost alliance theme uh, of Jewish people always having black people's back in the film. Mm. That uh, little the, shop lady, bless her heart. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
I have been here for you, and I will be here long after you are gone. <laughs> Love it. I just wanted her to take his, like, little nightstick and whack him yeah. on the head with it. I was hoping for that the whole time. Oh. Yeah. Maybe there are four white oh, people. Oh, side in the note. Yeah, yeah, that cop is played by Ed Screen, who is, uh, or Scrine, Screen, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, but he was uh, Daria Meharis in the first season of Game of Whoa. Thrones before they recast the role. Uh, also, the bad guy in Deadpool. Oh, Ajax. Am I the only one who saw Deadpool? I saw Deadpool. Oh, you mean Francis, not Ajax. Wasn't his... Right. Francis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One feather, I would say, I mean, there are many feathers in the Bale Street cap, but the thing that was really interesting to me, um, my background's in cinematography, so of course I'm sitting here, like, picking apart everything while I'm watching it, but um, James Laxton is the guy who shot um, Bale Street, and he shot it with such a thin uh, depth of field that it really forces you to look the characters straight in the eyes, so it did foster a lot of like connectivity and a lot of feels I was telling Josh I was crying through the whole thing while I watched it because it was just emotionally wrecking but that's really what got it is like you can see all the emotions between the characters very clearly in their eyes it's not a very action heavy film it really relies on those micro movements of the actors so it's definitely mastery in that point You know what? Thank you for saying that because that's another level of love that this film has is that you as a viewer develop like an intimacy and love and are forced to situate yourself within this like connection and this group of people in a way that is very hard to have distance um, in a world that like wants us to have distance all the time from things that make us feel. Um, And so I think it's actually like an expression of love between the audience and the film as well which is just like another layer it gets yeah there's a lot of those close-ups too like there's not very many wide sweeping shots like really only the beginning is where you see characters head to toe for longer than just Mm. a few seconds on screen so it was a really interesting choice um Mm. for riley to go that way la who did you shout out who did that uh james laxton is the dp on beale street cool and that's that's cool and i would give credit obviously to barry jenkins too because i read a i think it was new york times or some review before it was coming out or right as it was coming out an interview with him and he talked about making that choice um to direct it that way and like and like the process of getting actors comfortable with staring into a screen because they that's not something you do as an actor on screen very no often. they did break the fourth wall like consistently mm-hmm. all the time so yeah. it made it very personal and very like that tenderness is what was that vein that was through that the entire time yeah the the biggest love letter i would write this movie is the um uh, aesthetic uh glorification of of black lives and, and black bodies and the the way that the, the movie is constructed to present these people who are dealing with poverty who are, are coming up from nothing but still they they put the time and the budget in to dress everybody unbelievably well you just you can't get enough of everybody's costumes the way everybody looks the way they're all presented the the camera is constantly doing really creative things with viewpoints where it, it keeps like coming behind one character during the the really tasteful sex scene it, it pans around behind uh, Tish 
so that she's she sort of becomes your your focal point, uh, your your way into the scene, and in doing that, it, it doesn't make it feel at all like you're not supposed to be there, which I I've always felt is like a real problem with a lot of less well done sex scenes. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just it, it's all about why why shouldn't there be beautiful representation of of black people in cinema uh, even even when we're shooting people who are in poverty even when we're shooting people who uh, w- would maybe just have to wear crappy clothes no we're making a movie let's put amazing clothes on them damn come at me woo it's kind of, I, <laughs> no, we're doing similarities. We're doing similarities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. I'm gonna walk that back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> An invitational. Come at me. Come oh, at me. Josh, uh, come at me. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, something that you can argue right off the cuff that's a similarity between Beale Street and Sorry to Bother You is the um, imprisonment. So Fonny is literally in jail, whereas you hear Terry Crews uh, contemplating the idea of worry-free at one point, and he says, well, it's three, three hots and a cot, which is what oh, they yeah, always yeah. say about prison. And I, like the whole time, that's all I was thinking about worry-free was prison system, prison system, prison system, because it's very exploitative of um, the people who are there. And I think it's a little bit that's more of allegorical versus like physical um imprisonment but same kind of mentality of just well what are your options you know a lot of unfortunately a lot of times it's either like it's three hots three hots and a cot here or i'm not gonna eat so it's kind of that same like damned if i do damned if i don't kind of thing like it was in beale street yeah honestly they could be continuations of the same story 50 years apart and I think the lack of love interpersonally and sorry to bother you, which like I don't believe that Detroit and Cassius are in a good loving relationship, but like I I think it so like the lack of love and sorry to bother you and the present love and if Beale Street could talk, I think could be the same continuation of like if this system continues the way it is, we could see something look like this and our ability to connect with one another could look like this too. Um, I think the argument that Beale Street is making is that like the black family chooses each other despite all of that. And it's within that, like it's in some ways because of a systemic oppression that like they know what love looks like because they haven't dehumanized people the same way white folks have. Um, But who knows how long that lasts in a system that dehumanizes you. So they could be very like, they could be part of the same story. And it's too, like, the Beale Street takes place in the 70s where everything was, like, peace and love. And then you cut to an unnamed time, probably something modern for Sorry to Bother You, where it's very much just, you know, it's the digital age. There's no such thing as, like, personal um, personal interaction anymore. Like, everybody just meets everybody on the internet and records podcasts on the internet, too. So, you know, like, it's, it's, it's the setting, too. So taking into consideration, like... 70s is less tech involved versus currently where you know it is kind of a love void now because we're all just like in our own personal tech bubbles and not really getting our head up to see like okay maybe my neighbor is hurting or okay this person actually does need some help like 
family dynamics and interpersonal dynamics have really shifted over the last 40 years from the 70s to now. Yeah, and the system is stacked against the characters in really similar ways, and the powerlessness that exists is is quite similar. As a, as a inveterate call center employee, you, you will never find a greater dearth of love than somebody you just called who didn't want you to call them. No, nobody's ever acted more betrayed than, than the person who didn't want to receive your phone call. Ugh, but yeah. how like heartbreaking was the example when she was like, my husband is oh, really yeah. sick? I was like, okay, this is the one example of like love in this movie. Right. And she's like in mourning, you know, and he's like desperately trying to find a response yeah. in like a, you know, a capitalist but society that like won't let him respond like a human. It was like so moving. Uh, that's kind of like too, like nowadays when you ask people if like, oh, well, how you doing? And the robotic answer is I'm fine. It's like we have to stick to this social script that we've been given versus like authentically communicating with other people as humans. And I, I think um, thinking about Cash's character and his trajectory, um, particularly when he chooses the power caller path, even when the union has formed. Um, so he's crossing the picket line, as Detroit says, um, even though all the power callers were. And it's unclear whether there's any connection between the power callers and the downstairs callers whatsoever. Um Oh. Still can't cross a picket line. I'm just saying it like all the power callers were doing it, so like her anyway, that's neither here nor there. But she's it, the worst character. She's so flat. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, we should come back to that. I don't even but, remember who you're talking about. Yeah. Like what character is this? That's an option. Yeah. Oh, okay. The girlfriend. Yeah, and she, that's when she like leaves his apartment and is like, We're done. Like I can't ride with you if you're gonna cross the picket line. So I'm thinking about his trajectory at that point, and um, I think it's Franz Fanon who writes that, this is a rough paraphrase, but it's like, vertical violence begets horizontal violence. So when people say like, well, what about black on black crime? It's like, <sighs> like, what about like all the negativity or all the like violence in a poor urban area? And what people mean is like, you know, like black communities are like killing each other at these rates, blah, blah, blah. It's like, Franz Vanon would say, like the vertical violence of the structure or a system that's designed to keep you in poverty, to, that's closing your schools, closing your mental health facilities, um, uh, not investing in your communities, like repeatedly structurally choosing to invest in white communities and not invest in communities of color. We see it in Chicago year after year, day after day. Like that's vertical violence that then begets like then what choices does it leave people and like and like my i had a professor who used to just say like poverty like will drive you crazy and like like what choices are you given if you don't have job opportunities or you don't have healthy food whatever um or a good education system and so it's like uh cash is making that choice to like become a power caller it makes me think of that where it's like he's in a system that doesn't give him any choices to begin with and so like I'm not defending him like wholeheartedly, but at the same time it's like you can see exactly why he is doing that and like no yeah. I mean I don't think a, a, you know the movie I don't think it blames Cassius for his choices I mean it's made very evident that he has real problems and this thing will solve his problems it's it's just getting getting beyond that and choosing the love of solidarity uh, 
mm-hmm. to you know take down the real oppressors rather than uh complicit mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. complete you know uh as I don't, yeah i mean he's not the most selfish person like he's obviously doing it like he's helping out his family and trying to help out his like sort of the people who immediately surround him but like there is that wider cause and i mean and it's always it's always always in the background is this creeping overreach of capital so like one of the the things that goes through it is the worry-free corporation has that whole well going back to like the three hots it's slavery but it's like dressed up in this like corporate language they call it like a lifetime labor contract Mm -hmm. because all everything else is just so contingent so you have these people who just like wear jumpsuits and like that just reminded me of jonestown with all the bunk beds and i was just like it's a cult it's a cult it's a cult get out quick like uh, i mean and that's like it it seems so ridiculous in the movie but it's like real shit like silicon valley uh like you know startup culture is very into like making the workplace more like your home so mm -hmm. they can capture more of your labor time while not actually paying you more for the time mm-hmm. it's like oh it's not really work because we have we have video games and like bean bags here we have an aquarium mm-hmm. you can nap in like all that fancy <laughs> stuff yeah i believe was it i think it was cash who said um they're controlling what i do with my day i at least want to call the shots or something to that effect i don't remember where where when he said that but i mean as someone who is recently unemployed <laughs> i like that was my whole reasoning too of like well now my day is mine and i can maximize that with what i choose versus you know toiling away for somebody else and that was an interesting choice of words that he chose i think it might have been pre pre picket line stuff like right before he became a power caller but i can't remember what the reference is on that but it was that really stuck with me So I'm going to try to bring up something uh, a little bit, um, I think, uh, trickier because I, these are this is a piece of each movie that I'm not sure that I totally grasped. Uh, let's hear about the use of art in either movie. So uh, in Beale Street, it's going to be the primarily I think the sculptures. Yeah, Fanny's a sculptor. Fanny's Fanny's a, a sculptor, and then in Sorry to Bother You, it's going to be the uh, the art show with the performance art and I guess some of the visual art, which was she was more um protest art and um performance yeah yeah i um i'm not sure that i can say i know what either movie is doing with either of those uh themes or pieces so i'd I'd love to hear some thoughts so i think what beale street is doing with fanny being a sculptor is a couple of things one i think it's letting fanny be a whole person and like having interests other than like his relationship or poverty or you know like thinking about like his life dynamics and i think too that the like expressiveness or or um creativity that's driven him and allows him to be a more nuanced human being and not just like this like masculine love that tish is like putting her love onto but he's like this rich human being who has passions and who has like you know in part of the film and in the book he mentions that like if he didn't have tish or you know his art that he didn't doesn't know what he'd do so it's sort of like figuring out what he would do in this like world where there's no water he's just starving you know um and it's like he develops that 
art and that craft in response to being sent to like vocational school and he drops out of that and steals all the like supplies and is like I could do this so great (laughs) (laughs) and like the confidence that he has in himself in like also in economic conditions that would typically force him to get a like a typical job really immediately start a family all that kind of stuff and he like he chooses to be like no 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 I've got something inside me and like it's important it's beautiful and it's like also an example of love of yourself and how like having faith in what you have inside you and, and your talents it's like fruits be, uh, five points to Alex for giving me chills <laughs> <laughs> that's too just again it's not that typical macho alpha male it gives right. him like this yeah. tenderness it's not something that we see a lot in the film and I love that that's something that's been a trend recently to mm-hmm. show softer sides of characters because it's not all like hard, tough, I'm going to put my fist through this wall kind of guys, but it's like a quiet reserved strength and it's it's awesome, I love it and to make my possible first plug into reading James Baldwin (laughs) is that he does a fantastic job of letting his characters have emotional depth and multitude and like they glitter in ways that are really really unique and this, this book, while it's his most romantic, is also the only book that is written from the perspective of a, a woman, um, like completely. And he does a fantastic job of showing the like nuance and depth of that and the uncertainty and the certainty. And um, I think everyone should read at least one Baldwin in their life. And I think Beale Street would be a really, a really good one to pick. But there's like this challenging of what masculinity looks like. And I think... You know, for myself, as someone who comes from a really privileged background, um, the pain and beauty that happens in a Baldwin film, I mean, in a Baldwin book, is something that I don't experience in my my daily life, and it's something that I would have really missed out on if I hadn't if I hadn't read him. It's too the kind of connecting thread between Fonny and Detroit is I kind of saw art as like it's a way to show who they are. Um, so it gives Fonny a voice and it gives Detroit a voice in different ways. Like there's a really beautiful shot in, um, Beale Street. That was actually probably my favorite moment of the film. I know that's a later thing, but it segues nicely here as there's the scene of him carving and it's jazz mm-hmm. music and just the smoke. And it's a really like circuitous shot mm-hmm. where the camera is just mm-hmm. kind of lolling around and it cuts to him just like laying in his prison bed like crying like you can really see like at his core this is who he is he sees himself as this artist as a creator where the system is trying to show him as someone who's destructive and takes things instead of somebody who's you know mm-hmm. giving something back versus you know someone who took away someone else's uh dignity and things like that um whereas like detroit is giving herself a voice in a really tumultuous time of like making a statement and she's doing it more to be brash and make a point versus giving something back to uh, yeah. the general yeah. at large. Um, yeah, I think uh, with Detroit and sorry to bother you, it's uh... Go on. <laughs> Go on, sorry, Alex, sorry. Uh, excuse me, I'll that be was, West Robinson. Um, I'm a, I know, I'm not, I'm not going to play the drinking game. I'm not interrupting you. Please finish your thought. Um, <laughs> as Wes Robinson, I'll, I'll interrupt you. Can I, can I interrupt Josh? Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. This is certainly Wes Robinson and not Caleb uh, pretending to be Wes. Um, Alex was shaking her head in disdain as, as Josh brought up 
um, um, Detroit. Detroit's character. That's going to be uh, five points to Mr. Butler for his flawless imitation. <laughs> Damn. If I knew I'd get five points for imitating, oh. I would have been doing it the whole time. So, uh, so I mean, the you, um, so I'll, here I am seeding ground. Like, I, yeah, Detroit is a fairly flat character, mm. but the use of art... Uh, uh okay we've pushed oh, you back to whatever the military term is here we've we forced you to retreat and retreat and retreat well i mean it's uh, saving private ryan i'm at the alamo i'm hitting the c4 charges tom hanks is shooting at the tank oh, and, uh, tom. I, maybe it was just performance i didn't i didn't think of detroit as a, a flat character i was, I was yeah. surprised to hear that from everyone we can I, make the argument <laughs> I don't. I mean, I mean it's like. Uh, I don't think she's intended to be a person, though, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, "Sorry to Bother You" is very heavy on the allegory. I think that she is supposed to be revolution. So by choosing um, when they put Cash in that situation of either choosing revolution and standing with his people and you know taking the moral obligation or taking the money. She's to serve as that point, like not to be yeah. a physical person, but she's a. Well, yeah, the. Uh, I didn't even get to make my full point. I don't, I, sorry, Alex was about to. Uh, uh, Alex, sorry, I'm we're probably going to edit this part out. Alex actually just beat the tar out of Josh. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of this has to do with you, Josh. <laughs> this is how I feel I mean, about you. I did timer. It took about eight minutes and 23 seconds. <laughs> I've been uh, taking those horse tranquilizers, you know? <laughs> tranquilizers. Tranquilizers, that's what I meant. Mm. Josh is kind of a ruined cold right now. It is agonizing to look at, but we, we do want to get this well, show yeah. back on track. Josh. I don't know, I'm on gallon three of whiskey, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to feel pain. I am not looking forward to looking into the mirror later. Uh, uh, well, let's all just cross our fingers and hope you go blind, because I can get this Wes was also judging the fight. <laughs> Not only the podcast, he also judged no the No interventions fight. were made. He just was like, oh, I'll judge this. <laughs> I bring up points. Uh, Alex racked up another 65 or so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, with, with Detroit's character, uh, going back to the, the use of art, um, is twofold. So there's the very baffling performance art piece at her gallery and mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. uh which is a it has that scene from the movie the last dragon which i've, I've read about multiple times but i just I, I haven't quite gotten it yet i sort of get it but i haven't seen that movie um so there's that uh, and uh which is and she's she has her own white voice and she's using it during this gallery show right then, which so. she's never named before that was Rose Byrne doing her voice, right? Because it's British, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I think that's right. That's who it kept sounding like to me. Rose so Byrne. the whole time she was critiquing Cash, mm -hmm. she had her own that she well, uses all the time. Right. I mean, yeah. well, they were they were talking about, like, the gallery stuff, and she made... Uh, well, there's that scene with her and Steve Ewan where, where she's, like, spinning the sign, and then he shows her his spinning... Mm -hmm. his sign spinning skills. Yeah, that's when I knew uh, they'd sing together. And it, Right, right, yeah. Well, he's like, how does it work with you and Cassius? And she's like, he's real. He's not like these pretentious art people. So there's this sense that, like, you know, the art is her passion, but there is a side of it that mm. that uh, is selling out. She is selling this art to white people uh, or, you know, the rich or whatever. Uh, 
But the other side is she does street art. She joins the the left eye resistance group mm-hmm. and vandalizes worry free billboards and builds the giant paper like when she find when they find that video on Cash's phone with mm-hmm. the horses, like she makes that thing of like uh the paper, like the the guy fucking the horse, and worry free is turning dance. people into horses, and then is it a is is it Questlove in that scene? Who's like? No, it's not Questlove. It's no. W. Kamau Bell. Maybe they mean it literally. I need to edit. Oh my god! I'm... They're literally turning people into workhorses. <laughs> so it's like the best. Like, oh, that was so good. But yeah, I think that's that actually that that's something I hadn't considered, and I like it a lot. The idea that she she's playing the game and also yeah. and also knows how to do that and yeah. but and I mean not, there is not sell herself out not, not yeah. but there is a little more authenticity into it because there is that like, another great scene which might be a uh, I mean which underlines uh, Cash's sort of selfishness and interiority is she's actually explaining how capital is built on slavery and how she wants to express it in her art and he's just focusing on the blunt she yeah. just lit, and he's just waiting to take a drag, and it just, you just, like, it in the soundtrack, it, you only hear, like, swatches of, like, these great ideas that Detroit has, and now what she wants to talk about, and it's just, like, he's back from a day off work, and he's just, like, you know, in that good Lakeith Green sort of sleepy, like, Lee, and you just... And just <laughs> focusing on. Um, I, I see, there's, there's probably an argument to be made that her art is is exploitative. Uh, I'm just not smart enough or artsy enough to know how exactly to frame that. But definitely what do you mean that, exploitative? That that it, if you if you take if if you're a, a person of color and you take your culture and sell it to white people, could that be called exploitative? I'm not sure. That's actually a really big point in this movie. I wrote, I wrote a note on this. I have like 18 sticky notes stuck to my desk of all the notes I've been <laughs> writing, but I can't find it. But um, the appropriation of African-American culture in this film is really like, it comes in hot and heavy. Yeah. Um, and like stealing from other cultures, especially in the scene when they're at the party and they're just like, rap, 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 rap. Oh, and they're just like forcing him oh, to just God. like, it's so exploitive. So yes, her art could be considered exploitive at yeah. times. But then like the, the dichotomy there is that she, the, the profit is coming from annoying rich white people and going to her. And that's kind of the flip side of what, what Cassius is doing. Yeah. Potentially. I mean, a quick response I think of is just that that is the challenge of any person of color who wants to make money off their art is that like art and theater are largely white spaces largely white upper class spaces or that's where the funding comes from and so like to get funding or like to make money like you have to engage you have to like that's that's the part that i would call noble she she should be see i taking rich white people's money i'm saying i'm saying that that's i'm saying that's often a source of conflict for artists of color. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, that you, I mean, that, I think yeah. it's 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 not her selling out. So I, there's an element of selling out, but it's also highlighting, especially in the rap scene, uh, rich white people fetishizing. Yes, that's the word culture. I wrote down. That's it. Um, fetishizing. And, it, and also, because I, I couldn't go this whole episode without also referencing Atlanta, which uh, Donald Glover's it's so good uh which lakeith stanfield's in there uh brian tyree henry who has a cameo in uh we'll get to in, that scene yeah which we will he's get very to. important he is very important. we'll get to that scene uh 
But like, there's that that whole episode where uh, they they go to that uh, that the the Juneteenth party episode, and then there's like the white husband who's oh, just like yeah. creepily into African culture, like yep. So I mean, it's 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 not quite as like uh, you know Steve Lift at the party isn't like oh I love this or, or he's not like trying to identify with anything, but it is still this. Oh, you're black. You rap, uh, rap for me, and then there's that. Oh, uh, like the animation. Uh, yeah. Uh, there. Uh, another thing. Um, uh, Kate Berlant's character, the team leader in the call center, so she's the one who <laughs> actually like leads. Uh, like her fetishization of Cassius is like <laughs> really apparent. Alex thought that they were gonna have. I sex. thought they were gonna sleep together too. I was just making theories. I was like, here's my hot take. Yeah, they didn't, so. And I was... Probably in that creepy elevator. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really. (laughs) The the affirmation elevator. That was way too personal for anybody. (laughs) Yeah. So we we could talk... Like, we could spend a whole podcast talking about the race analysis or, like, the Mm -hmm. comments on what it means to be black or white in both... Sorry to bother you is, like, very heavy-handed... And, like, there's so many scenes that are, I could spend 15 minutes talking about each. Um, and same with, like, the class analysis. I do want to hear Alex's, like, 30-second explanation of, like, why um, Detroit is a black character, though. Yeah, so I think time. that's helpful. <laughs> well, this is merely my opinion. Um, but, and I, I'll compare the two, actually, because they're both about black women who are, you know, young um, and trying to operate in a culture. But... I think Detroit is an incredibly flat character. She's not given an opportunity to have her own agency, and she's just sort of this like, um, like this prop to be a vessel for the revolution, which is a disservice to her. And she's the only woman of color in this whole film, and she is a trope instead of a, a human. And everyone else gets to be a human who makes mistakes and fucks up and, you know, has a nuance and, and is developed. And in comparison, Beale Street Could Talk is um, the main character is, you know, a 19 year old black woman who finds herself pregnant and her fiance is in prison. And she's able to have emotional depth and be able to, you know, fall in love and feel fear and pain and um, just operate in a system. And I think they like them reading them together you can see that Detroit is just this like this trying to be this mirror but she ends up being this like caricature of a person who cares about revolution all of her clothing is tied to it which is also a really interesting expression of like capitalism still being tied to how you outfit yourself um, and revolution being tied to that too so like she's buying into expressing her revolution through owning things um, and I just think that she's an incredibly reduced character. But she makes all that stuff herself. She doesn't make the female ejaculation shirt or, you know, the... She doesn't make the shirts she ma- she wears. I see those shirts all the time. I've, I've, I've come around. I, I really agree with that assessment. I, I think that I, if it was just the, the general feeling of being... Of not having any idea what was going on throughout the movie or, or a, a really, really excellent performance, but I... I, I, it never crossed my mind that that was a flat female character and that, that bums me out because I try to I try to look for stuff like that that's um 
I mean, Tessa Thompson's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. she's just there to have sex yeah, with or to talk yeah. about the revolution, and that's right. it. And the could between... also argue, um, again, with the, the time settings, is that, especially within Sorry to Bother You, it's very millennial culture. And a lot of the times, it could be just that self-imposed vapidness just to, like, fit in and keep up with the times. Because I kind of feel like she, at points is trying to be this revolutionary and she's like doing so many crazy different things to bring light to that like i have a friend who comes to mind when thinking about a character kind of like that who she just has her fingers in so many pots so you don't ever really get a clear idea of who that person is it's just kind of um minute facets of the personality like it's it's kind yes. of with like that lack of communication, that lack of interpersonal connection. Like you never really get to know her fully. Yeah, I think that would be a generous read. It's it's all the elements of a great character. There's yeah. they're all. It's just the, the movie mishandles her and it uses her. Mm-hmm. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right. It, it makes her a, a tool for including the performance art piece. Yeah. Like that wasn't that wasn't feminist in any way. Yeah. I think it would be more interesting if they would have had instead of Cassius be the lead have a female as a lead and I think oh, it would be so interesting. interesting I think it would be <laughs> real interesting I would love to see that yeah, yeah I would really like to see that yeah but I think both the films in similarity with the art but in other ways deal with desperation in really powerful ways um, including like the desperate need to create art to be able to like articulate yourself in some way and then like desperation of getting out of your economic system or getting out of prison or avoiding worry-free or you know like it's dealing with all of that which are social factors that are put on um, these communities so I think they're similar in that way too can we jump to favorite scenes <laughs> you excited yeah. <laughs> All right. I know my favorite scenes. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's bring up some favo scenes. I think one of my favorite scenes that was just like I love good reveals. So uh, when Cassius is rolled up to the gas station, he goes forty on whatever pump, and the camera pans down, and it's forty. <laughs> that <was> fantastic. <laughs> oh, yes. Like that's such a that good, so good like picture of millennial culture because I I have been there. I've put a dollar in my tank before. Uh, but like, I love that that's just, cause you know, you're expecting like, oh, $40 on pump fat. And it's just yeah. that 40 cents is such like a strong mental image of like wealth and different demographics and, oh, so good. Gave me chills when I saw that. It was really good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a nice follow up to the, uh, uh, like, uh, when, when Detroit and Cassius wake up in bed together and then. Like yeah. they're about to have sex, and then the garage door opens up, and it turns out his it's room hilarious. is just in the garage. They're like, "Get a room." He's like, "I have a room, motherfucker." <laughs> on the on the topic of reveals, like you're you're supposed to you're supposed to be taking care of your family. It's like what you or how how does this reveal go? Or it's, yeah, or it's like and people like. God gave us all this stuff so we could like share and be happy, and people like you prevent us from like living our lives and your uncle. taking care of our family. <laughs> care of our family. Yeah. I am your family. I'm your uncle. I am your family. <laughs> I liked too that in um, Sorry to Bother You, it was uh, very much kind of uh, also on the topic of class as well. So, you know, like typical millennial culture is like brunch and plant shopping and like all that stuff. But like, these are just people 
spending time with each other, having a beer. It's just like different socioeconomic levels. And it was really nice to see like not someone strutting around in Fendi shopping for plants with some Italian model on their arm. Like it was nice just to see it like what it really is. You know, it's not super glitz and glam. It's just real. I really enjoyed that. I think my favorite Sorry to Bother You scene was, and I, I don't even remember the exact visual, but it was the moment that I realized that after they broke the story wide open and went went and went on dozens of news shows and told everybody what uh, uh, easy, what, what's the worry called? free, worry free, uh, easy breezy worry easy breezy, easy breezy worry freezy, uh, they <laughs> they just they just took it all and used it as free publicity and they loved it. Oh, there's yeah. there's no consequences to the fact that the story came open. Okay, uh, I I do want to like make a. They're stock rows. I, I can I can make them. They're stock rows. So it's yeah, positive consequences. Yeah, yeah, they actually made money. They're it's it's the the final form of a of a super corporation is that you yeah. can't hurt them anymore. I mean, yeah, that's it. Kind of like the presidency that's going on right now. <laughs> hey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Do do you want to make a point like? Uh, that's why like journalism is so fucking annoying <laughs> right now because like everybody thinks they're fucking Woodward and Bernstein it's like that shit doesn't work anymore we're so inured to the awfulness of the world and we're so invested in our I mean I'm not necessarily calling for unity of like oh we need to see it from both sides because clearly there is a wrong side and there is a right side uh, that's the why right I... is wrong the left is good uh... <laughs> uh, that's why Anchorman 2 was so vital to our discussion and so I'm glad that we can bring it back in here. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But I mean, that's why a theme like love is so important. Because like the systems that we are making a commentary about are asking us to not pick each other and not choose like our human connections and seeing ourselves in community with other people. And like the ability for us to be able to sit with love and like face it and be able to like see ourselves in relationship is... Like a rejection of that, and is the only way we're going to be able to hear about stories about horse people and care. Um, and so it's kind of like Beale Street taught us a lesson in love, and like it's a response to systemic inequity. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. On that topic, can I bring up my favorite scene? Yes. Wait, are you about to bring up Sorry to Bother You? No. Or Beale Street. Why would I? Why oh, would yeah. I? We in hell wait, do we pick up? Sorry to bother you. Well, do we pick we, it? can be like I mean I mentioned my favorite scenes from a Beale Street guitar. Hard not but... to, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it, you I, you set him up for that one. It was a softball, <laughs> and he just swung and missed. You just set him up. Like minus three. You're losing Charlie Brown. That football. Just, <laughs> I thought I was well, at least gonna... we're outside playing sports together. You know. <laughs> Allie, I award you one demerit. You're on Oh shit! <laughs> I didn't Wait realize it could go this way. What's the demerit to points ratio now? I'll, I'll reveal it all at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me it's not fair. <laughs> the system's rigged, motherfuckers. <laughs> so uh, my favorite scene in Beale Street. Uh, we can jump around, but uh, I just have to bring up. Brian Tyree Henry. That's his name, right? Also my favorite scene in Beale Street. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Um, Ella, you've mentioned several times like the male intimacy and like the, I love male intimacy. the like tender masculinity and like the tender basketball hugs. I love basketball <laughs> Sorry, hugs, you guys. <laughs> it's all in that scene while telling a tragic story of and like 
like haunting story that Brian Tyree Henry goes into. It's much more graphic in the book. Josh, what it's are you doing? Deeply disturbing. Just do it. <laughs> I was trying to keep he it keep, away from the He mic. keeps opening my beers. It has to at least be the twentieth <laughs> beer he's open for me, and he's just so nice and hey, generous. Sometimes I gotta like take a break in between gallons of whiskey. So. <laughs> it looked like you were going to pee in the corner. <laughs> it did look like that a bit. Josh, this is. We've been doing a lot of this is what's happening gags, but Josh genuinely went over and, and crashed at the corner and made kind of like a suspicious face. It's so hard enough to put the beer can behind the couch so it can block the sound of the. Uh, now I'm really disappointed I can't see what's going on. I mean, the webcam is facing the complete opposite direction. So, so. I'd just be staring at a wall. But uh, you're just going to have to enjoy that mental image. Yeah. I thought Josh just didn't want to hear my point, he was walking away. But. That scene is so powerful, and Brian Tyree Henry does an amazing job in it, as well as um, the the guy who plays Fonny, um, which his name is not important right now because I can't pull it up. But Stephen or Stephen? Yeah, um, Stephen James, and then also Tish, Tish is in it as well. But I just love to, like that conversation is so powerful. That story he's telling is so haunting and tragic. And, but also like it's beautiful in the way that they're connecting and like he's opening up and the way he's like holding back tears is like Tish mm-hmm. walks over with the food and like forces the smile again and forces a laugh but also doesn't force it because it's genuine that he's like so feels so like warm and safe to like be in this home with these like mm-hmm. long lost friends and like it just is like a beautiful moment of what that community means to them like what friendship looks like and also like like these two men like opening up and him like having a moment to bear his soul is like really one of the tiny scenery magics one of the many tiny scenery magics in that movie is that as that scene progresses the room fills up the smoke and they kill off all those beers and they're eating the food and Fani takes the big piece of meat off of his plate and puts it on his friend's plate and it, it it's not a plot point it's not mentioned that they're a part of the movie it's just something that kind of happens as the camera pans around mm-hmm. as gives it his protein for the night yeah I mean the film asks what it looks like when we care for one another so it's like fucking stunning the whole time Um, I think my favorite I have a obviously a lot of favorite moments but um, I think the moment that like yeah the whole thing actually Um, (laughs) I mean I actually have some critiques about the film but I the the moment that really stood out to me was Tish's um she's nightmaring she's like sleeping and um she's kind of far along in her pregnancy and she's having a a challenging pregnancy and her she's so she's nightmaring and her mom comes in the room and her mom is like giving her this like love talk which is such a beautiful thing and she's talking about um that Tish has chosen love this far and not to panic now um and it just felt like such a beautiful like love note to her daughter's faith and you know something that constantly surprises me in that film is the like and in the book is the like openness to and willingness to love rather than like critique or rather than um like hold judgment and I thought that was like a beautiful way for her to still care for her baby while her baby's caring for her baby um and it was just like this beautiful womanhood and connection and I think it is like this show of intimacy very similar to the scene that um Caleb likes so much is like hearing each other's pain and holding it um is really stunning so I liked it a lot 
I think my favorite scene, it happens really early on in the movie when um, Tish is telling her family she's pregnant and she immediately, mm-hmm. like, drops her head and her sister mm-hmm. goes, unbow your head, sister. Oh. Like, that was just... Uh. Like right in the feels. I was like, oh gosh, I'm in for it in this movie. But just like that unabashed support from a sibling is just insane because, you know, by all standards of society, a young unwed mother is totally frowned upon by many people. But to have your family in your corner to be like, you know what, we got you. It's cool. Like, we're going to do this. I hope it's a boy. Here we go. Like,. Yeah, I mean, even later in that scene when the parents are dancing together when they're waiting for Fonny's family to show up and they're just, like, having this great time and their kids are like, ew, and they're like, we'll leave the room then. And it's, like, just this example of, like, what it means to love each other every day and to, like, just pick your family and your marriage. And it just felt like a really special moment to be able to see. And, like, now we see films that are much more brutal or much harder and this is just like two people who will love each other, who are with their family, and who are celebrating something really beautiful. It was I mean, stunning. Like, and I mean, something I appreciate about Beale Street is like that movie does not shy away from brutality. Oh no! Um, like, I mean, I mean I, that like, scene I mean, the, with the tomatoes being thrown on the wall that looked like gun spew. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh. Or just, I mean, even in the, I mean, I think really the the sort of crowning set piece of the movie is that whole sequence where uh, I mean though it is sort of cut up like where where Tish if, you know tells her family and then the two families come together it's that that whole thing when, when Fonny's family shows up uh, and uh, like Fonny's mother is you know voicing her disapproval of the whole situation and as she's like going in and about how, like, you know, this child was conceived in sin, like, Bonnie's father hits her. I mean, and I think that's the single most, like, violent thing depicted in the film. Physically violent. Physically violent, right. Of course, I mean, we all, yeah, systemic violence is a thing. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I mean, later you see Bonnie really hurt, mm -hmm. so violence has happened to him, and obviously violence has happened to, what's the actor's name? Uh, who talks to him at the Brian table. Henry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's really intense violence in the book. My only critique of Beale Street, the movie, is that it is, uh, it has sugar-coated many of the scenes, or, like, has uh-huh. left out um, some of the most, like, uh, intense moments of the book. That's why I kind of felt it was lacking, is, like, it's this very tender-hearted, very kind of almost, like, rosy feel not rose glasses but like a rosy warm feel throughout it and then it's like polarized with the systemic oppression and violence and things like that whereas like sorry to bother you is no holds bar it's gonna punch it right in the face like they have a show what's that show called it's like a where they lick, you, yeah like they beat uh, you up on yeah, tv yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah with the with the scene where he hits her uh he it's as even as the scene is setting up to depict this woman as the the main villain of the of the movie, the the first thing it does once it's once it's given you that idea is show you how somebody gets to be this way. And I think that that's yeah. Her response so, is totally valid. She's chosen her faith, yeah. mm-hmm. and like yeah. she, that's how she's explained what's happened to her family and what her life looks like. I think you know while I have critiques because you know Baldwin is such a beautiful writer, and I think the pain of his books 
like help the joy of his books shine. Um, I do, I am asking questions about myself in when I think that the film wasn't brutal enough or wasn't like hard enough because I'm, I'm curious what in me is fine with the violence it does have and like wants more. Um, and that's, that was my critique of sorry to bot, like my stomach could not handle that movie. And I was like, I loved what it was doing and I cannot watch it again. And it was like really painful to see in parts of it. And so it's like, what have we gotten used to? Um, and what is still really challenging to watch because everything that Beale Street is doing is incredibly hard. And I was like, oh, I can take more. Um, for, so. a, for an affirming twist, uh, my favorite scene in Beale Street is, uh, I think it's maybe one of the loneliest points of the movie where, where Tish is uh, wrapping up her time at the makeup counter. Mm-hmm. And she her contraction comes and she slumps down against the counter and murmurs to her unborn born child be patient I'm doing the best that I can yeah <sighs> it's so beautiful and you see the mom doing that same kind of care yeah. when she goes to Puerto Rico and she's yeah. putting on her wig and she's like be patient I'm doing the best I can like she's working on it's, it too like everyone's a, working it's for this it's a generational phrase mm-hmm. it, uh, it's stunning it's like it's got an echo you know what it reminds me of love which is really quite interesting that's gonna be a yellow card (laughs) (laughs) now you're just mixing up sports (laughs) wait was that a sports reference it's soccer yep yep do you like that it's impressive i'm mostly a basketball girl so for the for the fans on the listening at home i like basketball so it's hard that i got a soccer reference Uh uh-oh who's your team Oh, good question. Thank you so much for asking. I like um, Golden State. I like Celtics now. I like, um, I mostly just like when they hug each other. Um, (laughs) And so I love the players who are most expressive during that time. How long do they linger? When are they, and where are they touching? Um, Are they smiling? Are they continuing to talk during this embrace? Like I'm present for literally that whole moment. Um, and so I just like love it. Videos of puppies. That's Alex with videos of I love them so much. <laughs> it really is the only time, besides you know a few films, that you get to see intimacy like that between men, and it's really quite special to me. So there's my plug for basketball hugs too. Baldwin and basketball hugs. All right, team. Um, let's let's get towards something approaching a wrap. If that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Does anybody have anything that they feel went unsaid? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I guess uh, favorite scenes of I, the the sort of whole climax portion of Sorry to Bother You, uh, where they uh, stop the picket line with, like, the concrete dummies, and then Cassius is arrested, and then the Equisapiens, as they're called, uh, come in and save the day. I, I love, the literal I love. cavalry came. No, yeah. no people riding them, but the cavalry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> man. I'm from Oakland. Let's ride. Let's be out. Yeah. I don't know. So I mean, that just that comes in where. Uh, you know, love is the basis for positive violence uh, and trickery. Like, it's incredibly good. Oh, like, so there are, like, riot cops that escort the power callers into the uh, 
telemarketing firm building. They're basically Blackwater guys operating on American soil, which happens. Uh, read about the oil fields, folks. That, that Those happened. are Blackwater guys? Yeah, they did security for a... Oh, we watched Wind River together. Yeah, yeah. it's like, those guys are Blackwater guys. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a good movie, too, everybody. Wind River. But, um, um, it's also very sad. I'll probably... That's probably going to get covered in this podcast at some point, because I really so enjoy sad. I love sadness. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a sad but, yeah, there's... I mean, it's like, yeah choosing solidarity and then they're able to overcome this force and then they have the yeah the cavalry shows up uh weirdly enough i do want to mention that my my initial pick for this episode was the first purge uh but that oh i'm so glad you did not pick that oh those movies are trash fucking owns i love those movies i left halfway through the movie because it was so bad which he's talking about the, the the first purge or the original sorry purge. sorry sorry i thought you were talking about like the purge like the with the people in the masks and it's like purge day and all crimes oh, yeah. are legal oh, yeah. I, I still, still like, like that one. one the 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 first purge is the fourth one in the series yeah oh i um, have not seen that i thought you were talking about like the original one sorry oh uh, no i wasn't talking about the original one which <laughs> same, oh, same. josh you gotta clarify to. in the future though what? That's like the third time I've been around you and that's happened. People are like, oh, that movie sucks. You're like, no, the first Purge. You're like, yeah, that movie sucks. You're like, the first Purge. It's, it's, okay, it's the fourth. They're like, oh. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not the original Recipe Purge, which I will say is like one of the weaker ones in the franchise, but that, uh, um, those movies are actually incredibly intelligent about class and race and, uh, That's fair, because they are violent movies, um, and but it's that veneer of exploitation. So, what what I, uh, I but that movie has like okay, uh, a, a a black drug dealer who has developed a social consciousness uh, strangling a blackwater mercenary who is wearing a like minstrel or blackface mask to death, and in twenty nineteen, that's a healing image for me. Uh, that's fair. Um, it's great. Oh, a good topic would be something about like healing resistance. I have a movie that came to my mind too. All right. So okay. let me um, guess if Beale Street could talk. Is that the one that you're thinking of? Yeah, I'm actually thinking of just having this film be the film that gets stacked against <laughs> any other theme. <laughs> oh, we could have a we could have a, a, a lingering contender. What? Yeah, yeah we're just comparing game. everything to if Beale Street. Could talk. <laughs> uh, we have a game we play with that, but it's like on a scale of Crimson Peak to Jurassic Park, which is one of the worst movies ever made to the best movie ever made. So I liked Crimson Peak. God damn it! Oh, thank God! I thought that you meant you didn't like Jurassic Park. I thought. No, I thought we could yeah. be friends. <laughs> Jurassic Park's my favorite movie. I will fight anyone. That movie rules. I think we're all agreed that Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park is oh, a masterpiece. I like that movie. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, great. No, no problems. Um, I agree. So I'm not. I would not say Crimson Peak is on Jurassic Park's level, but I've never even heard. Oh of no, that's like negative ten to a million. <laughs> so <laughs> that's big disparity. Close. Let's, let's finish strong on target. Uh, I think that we've done a good job, and I'm open to being contested on this, but I think we've, we've done what are they doing, how are they doing it, what's the benefit, pretty well. Uh, so I, I wanted to, I was thinking maybe for closing arguments, how do you think you'll describe this movie in 10 years if you don't rewatch it on the way? Damn. And uh, I'm, I'm still not 
no decisions have been made yet, so this is an opportunity okay. to, to clinch. Uh, get get prosaic with it. Clinch that Vic. Clinch that Vic. Vic for is short for victory. Yeah, out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> Thanks, Charlton. <laughs> I think I think to play to play to my audience here, which yes, it's you, the listeners, in theory, but in reality, it's the man sitting right across from me on this couch, Wes Robinson. Always the, his audience. <laughs> always my audience. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just hearing Caleb on uh, at work when he was in school, the few times we've acted together, every time he's in the bathroom. I send him texts throughout the day that's like, hey, thinking of you, hope you're pooping Aww. okay. And it's, I, yeah, I'm just your number one fan. That means a lot. <laughs> I, I can't say it enough. So, really to speak to the, my audience of one here, the way I would describe this movie now and in 10 years is that it's incredibly moving mm-hmm. and beautiful mm-hmm. and so artistically, art, so well done artistically um, while telling such an important and powerful story about love but also about family and community and racism and uh, the criminal system um, and all that said the movie's great go see it I would say this now and in 10 years it's a better book oh, and I think that's the best thing I can say to my audience right here okay right. movie's fine but you gotta read the book alright let's let's cut to a sorry to bother you and then we'll, we'll let Alex make a closing statement on, on <laughs> just bald one in general yeah, and some other stuff and then uh, we do have some closing business to attend to yeah. with the logistics and what but okay so sorry about the um a a a a fully realized and nightmarish depiction of what it was like to be alive in 2018 uh through its heightened reality uh just perfectly described the contours of the nightmare hell world (laughs) that we probably uh lived in then and probably only continued to get worse um drop that coin again as I flips um, sorry I derailed that <laughs> that was a 15 point um, closing statement so you know it's a, it's a movie that makes a, a profound statement about the time it was made in through profound unreality so I just want to make a profound note here <laughs> keep in mind the profound theme is Profound love. Profundity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even ask to interrupt that time. <laughs> I just did it. You just did it. Um, well, how the fuck did we get through it, man? We had to love each other. And that's mm. kind of what it... Mm. That's what it points to is like, you know, uh, hopefully in 10 years things, you know, get better in some way. And I mean, that movie points in, in the direction and I, I think, uh, you know, actually gives you a concrete way of how to like start that process um like realistically like the foundational conflict is actually just starting a union in your workplace and while the the weight of the world crashes down on these characters shoulders it is on this very like uh banal thing of like maybe just talk to your co-workers and say fuck you to your boss uh which is it's as easy and as hard as that so. <laughs> hmm. And how do you do that? Love. 
<laughs> of your coworkers. Solidarity. Agape. Love of yourself. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, over to Alex. Let's close out Beale Street. Okay. Hmm. Um, Caleb's right. You should read the book. Um, I think James Baldwin is a gift to our generation and to generations to come. Um, and I think he does a really powerful job of illustrating what it means to um, have a exist and choose life um, in a in a society in a world that is systemically designed and interpersonally designed to um, stop that. And I originally was very angry at the choice of sorry to bother you because I was like, can we never talk about love specifically? <laughs> And um, I see a lot of your arguments now and like this idea or this decision and they're both connected in this way of like what it means to belong to one another and be in community with one another and to think of your own life and your own finances and your economic condition as being part of a, a larger whole. Um, I think both of the films talk about that and I think I can see how Sorry to Bother You is about love in that way. Um, and so I, I think you did pick a good, a good oh. movie. I mean, I don't think it's going to win, but I think it was like Thanks, a really solid choice. And right. it's, it's impossible when you're stacked against Baldwin. You know, like <laughs> it's actually, you could have picked literally anything, even Titanic, and it would have won, you know? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, minus before five we, before preparing Titanic. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> okay, so before we like close oh, out, oh, LA, yeah, merc these goofies, <laughs> bury them. Try it. Um, <laughs> oh boy, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah, I hope you know I did totally ruin all of our debates and debate good love in high school, so I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> I would say for me, um, sorry to bother you, is more of like a dystopian future if we are focusing on the wrong things, which would be loving material things instead of focusing on the things that really matter like um causes that you support or people that you care about um as i said before it's a socio-political surrealist shit show it's wonderful in all those regards but the thing for me that really sends it home is love stands out um the most when polarized with intense hate and i don't think you could get more hateful than some of the characters in um Sorry to bother you. Um. Well, I mean, the criminal justice system, that white cop, you know. I mean, you have the guy who's literally selling people and tricking them into doing cocaine and turning them into equi-humans. (laughs) And then also that, like, there's a lot more shystery going on and, like, tricking people into having this false sense of security of like, oh, you have a job you're going to be provided for, but guess what? We own your ass. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's certainly more heavy-handed even if they're still operating in the same way. I hear that. I think love stands out more when you have a, a wasteland of everything else going on. So I'm going to hand over my uh, adjudicator's crown here in a second. Let let Josh uh, dial us all in at the end. I, I do want to. I want to say I'm going to take. Uh, a moment I'll, I'll, when Josh cues me I'll announce a winner uh, I would like to okay. deliberate that for a sec tabulating and, huh? um, well, I, I do just want to say uh, Alex and LA your, your minds and your voices have been unbelievably welcome here please come back uh, it's 
just far and away in the in the production. I'm sure the listening a better podcast for having you here. This is yeah. That's I'm gonna say, nice uh, you to say. Thank you. Wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks, guys, so much. This has been an absolute treat. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of the of the business before I let Wes. Uh, Hell yeah. Uh, announce our winner. Uh, well, I'll give him some time to tabulate. Um, so as as you all know, the the letters. <laughs> yeah, he's got the abacus. Is that another over sports there. reference. Over here turning for a minute. <laughs> Um, so I think we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh, pick uh, next next episode's theme here. We've got some themes to throw into the hat, though. What? We can do that after this, if right? You I yeah. Mean, you've Not live. Got one in there. So. Okay. Right. Um, cool. I don't know. There's a there's a bunch. Uh, we do have some uh, some listener themes in contention. Um, we'll say they are all you know still outweighed by. Everything else, but they're in there, so there's a chance. I've randomized the list, and I'm going to pick a random number between one and twenty-eight. Ooh. Oh, I'm twenty-eight years old. That's spooky. All right, so to RN Jesus right now, and the result is number eleven. He's not doing anything on his computer. He just makes these up. That's his oh, favorite number. Oh, holy shit. Oh, number 11 is it's just Josh's name over and over again. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> All right. The real number 11. Uh, next uh, next time's theme is queerness, and that is submitted <laughs> That's by mine! Uh, <laughs> Hot damn! <laughs> uh, so that's spooky. That's uh, really spooky. It's my... Yeah, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, so... That's spooky. Damn, that's gonna be good. This is gonna be good. Oh, uh, so I guess Alex has at this rate, you're just gonna be the fourth co-host of the oh, show. Geez. So <laughs> be prepared. LA consider that an invitation too, but you've got your own. Uh... Hey, I I'm unemployed. I got nothing but time right now. <laughs> Hashtag freelance life. So <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, maybe we can get this turned into a paying operation at some point. So. Uh... Well, look out for it, people. We will be talking about queerness next time. So uh, before I, we all sign off, um, Wes, announce a dang winner, man. So it's complicated. I've been going through my notes. I've, I've given out over 1,000 points at this point, 11 silver stars, a congressional medal, a uh, 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 steely bar of discipline. I think I gave away an old license plate of mine that I had back in the closet. Yeah, this, I got a demerit. It's, it's a demerit. There were flags on play. It's been a real shit show over here, guys. Uh, this is a this is a tough one, and uh, it's going to come down to uh, the the topic because there's there's so much to get into with any of these movies. Um, I think that uh, "Sorry to Bother You" is probably the one that I'm going to uh, remember the high points of more strongly, and I think that it's doing uh, a lot more that is uh, revolutionary that we've never seen before. While I think that Beale Street uh, fits the topic a little bit better, and it's doing things with subtlety that I didn't even realize that I wanted to see in movies, and uh, for that reason, for its its glorifications of of blackness that maybe just I've been too white and too sheltered, uh, 
to have, to have seen out in the wild before, but was really, really blown away by it. I didn't know I was so thirsty for it. It's, it's absolutely going to Beale Street. Beale Street! Wow. Baldwin <laughs> for life! <laughs> that was a heavy-handed one in the theme, in my opinion, but hey, <laughs> I can see it. I'm sorry, LA. At this point, Wes is the adjudicator, and he has he has decided. And we're uh, shit. This was a tiebreaker episode. Uh, Caleb's in the lead. Everybody, hell yeah. Two to one. <laughs> shit. Um, Thanks. Um, uh, credit where it's due. I, the the thing that really brought me over to side of body you having uh, a strong chance as contender was the idea that the realization comes from contrast it's like it's like cooking a really great meal and realizing you forgot all your acids and you're, you need to put some with, lemon you know, on it without a vinegar or, or some lemon it's, it's just gonna fall flat despite how well you seasoned it a little um, bit of salt I, I think that that there there is a great balance there in that movie but it um it, it doesn't do for me what beale street did which was just uh, cut you open just well, it was just even the the content of the movie it not as much as the the way that it was celebratory. The the I, I, I think I've gotten into it enough. Yeah. Yep. We I, won. I, I I respect your decision as, as much as I am seething inside and plotting <laughs> your eventual. Uh, I mean, for a second, I thought I was going to go the other way, and I would have flipped this table. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea how like I was starting to boil in like a way that was going to get really intense really soon. I think. Two of my top three most valuable possessions are on this table. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> fuck your shit up. There are economic consequences of voting against me. All right. Um, so, uh, well, well, I guess we're we're doing some doing some plugs. Um, so, LA. Uh, I mean, we mentioned at the top of the top of the hour here that uh, you've got a little podcast coming out. So, um, plug plug your stuff for the people. So, um, our podcast that we do here in Cleveland is called the Libated Film Critic Podcast, where we play movie-themed drinking games and just destroy them most of the time. Um, so typically we're picking movies that we both hate and forcing each other to watch them. Um, our first episode that we're recording tomorrow is, uh, Twilight. So that's guaranteed to be a shit show. It's going to be really (laughs) hysterical because last time we only made it 10 minutes into the movie before we both could not remember what happened the hours (laughs) after. Um, But yeah, so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at libatedfilm. um, And we're going to be putting up our first episode that we recorded two years ago because I like to sit on projects until I'm unemployed <laughs> to do them. It's going to be up on The Shining. is going to be up on Tuesday. So, cool. Yeah. I, I know I'm looking forward to it, and we're going to promote the hell out of that as yeah. far as we can. I think um, the worst idea was any time that Tony and the finger talks, you had to take a shot. That was the worst rule that we oh. ever came up with. We drank an entire bottle of rum throughout <laughs> the course oh, of that movie. It's bad. It's really rum. bad. Nothing sacred on our podcast, so that's why we try and only pick movies that a lot of people really hate to do. So, like, uh, <laughs> not the shiny, but everybody loves. I made Vanilla Sky. Mm. So. Well, if you guys want to come on, of course you're welcome to come on our podcast. But you better <laughs> play the drinking games with us; they're intense. So, but yeah, it's gonna be fun. Love it. 
Hell yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so there's there's that. Uh, so uh, theme submissions are open, folks. Um, limit one per customer. Um, you can submit a bunch, but I'm only going to put one in contention at a time. And if it gets selected, we'll rotate it out for another one. Um, but yeah, just uh, tweet at us. There's the Facebook page. Uh, so yeah, all the contact info. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at OddSplice. Uh, all one word. Um, yeah, quick, quick order of business there. Stop sending us pictures of the tops of your heads. We don't, we don't get it. I don't think it's a reference to anything. But, we, but we're, we are sick of it. And I, I don't know if like there's somebody running a troll campaign or what. We don't want any pictures of the tops of your heads. We don't wearing a hat. You uh, could be getting hair. worse pictures, so I would be pretty grateful for. Just trying to give you that polarizing, you know, situation for you. Just like, sorry to bother you does, but it's going to be better for the rest of my life now. Oh, yeah. So get us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Hot damn. I think this has been a pretty good episode. So I guess we're going to close it out. Thanks, LA. Thanks, Alex. Uh, And as always, I've been your host, Josh. I'm Austin James. Okay.